I'd like to talk for us a few minutes about the power of God. Uh, when I came along some years ago, one of the things that I truly wanted to experience was that that was beyond myself, the power of God. I want to read four verses and then do a running exposition as quickly and uh, hopefully as helpful as I can out of the second chapter of 1 Corinthians, second chapter of 1 Corinthians, commencing with the first verse. And it reads on this order as you read your copy of God's word. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superior, superiority of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. And I just want to add that fifth verse, that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Now, he does go on to suggest now, he says, I do have some wisdom that we'll get into after you've gotten it straight as to who Jesus Christos Kyrios is, Jesus Christ the Lord. But as of now, I know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. In an academic setting like this, I want to commence with my two favorite philosophers. Well, three, really. Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> Piglet. And Christopher Robbins. Winnie the Pooh is out strolling one day on a cold, wintry day. Passes by Piglet shoveling snow off of the sidewalk. And Piglet ask Winnie the Pooh, said, what are you doing and where are you going? Winnie the Pooh answers back, shh, quiet. Piglet raises the question, why quiet? Winnie the Pooh says, shh, I'm searching. Piglet says, do you mind if I join you? So they, the two start walking together, searching. And again, Piglet raises the same question. But overhead is Christopher Robin on a limb observing the whole scenario and raises this question as well. 
What are you actually looking for? Winnie the Pooh answers a third time. I won't know until I find it. I wonder how many of us as preachers are still searching, looking for that, and maybe not know what we're looking for. One of the things that's happened to me personally is the search has been settled as it relates to the power of God rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ as I want to share here tonight. I want to pick out three words and then comment on each one and I'm almost through. There is a word in the first verse. It's a declaration. And my outline would be tonight a decisive declaration. Then we move to verse 2 and we find another word that I'd like to comment on. And that's a determination. It's a disciplined determination that flows out of this decisive declaration. And then we move down to the fourth verse and there's still another word. And you notice Paul was alliterating, I'm not doing it myself. It's already alliterated in the text. It's a demonstrative demonstration. Well, listen to it read incomplete. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Have you ever wondered why in our collapsing and crumbling culture and sickly and secular society which we dwell that so few people come to hear us preach and even less of us, a few of us, take it to them? There's a store in Houston, Texas by the name of Sacharis used to be downtown on Main Street, and I was traveling quite heavily in those days, sometimes 30 or 40 times a year, revivals and all of that. And I'd always go down Main Street, park on Side Street, go down, head north, turn inside, turn right to the men's department, pick up a couple of ties or socks or whatever I needed, and come right back out. And I was through shopping. I was out of town one time in New Jersey and came back, went downtown to Sacrus, parked on the side street, turned right, headed north, stepped inside, turned right, headed to that department, 
It was 1983, as I remember, and the economy had dropped out. The bottom had fallen out. The economy was down. Sackowitz had relocated the men's department to the second floor. I didn't know it. They had in the apartment where they had relocated the men upstairs, now ladies' lingerie, stockings, and the rest that go along with women's attire. It was nice, it was exquisite. It was certainly complimentary. But I had never been back in that store, in that department from that day until it closed. Why, preacher? It didn't meet my needs. Somebody's not hearing me. <laughs> Second story, and then I'll move on. The head of the Perina Cat Chow Company, in a motivational speech, said to his men, 1,400 in attendance, who's got the best cat chow of all the cat chow companies in the country. And they went on to name the name of that company. We do. And he asked that question about five or six times and each answer was, we do. He said, then why are we 14th on the sales list out of 15 companies? <laughs> A voice halfway back stood up and said, because the cats don't like it. <laughs> I think I better give up on these. <laughs> it may be that in my ministry, without the power of God, the cats don't like it. <laughs> How can it be that even if you happen not to be Dr. Ralph West or Dr. Joel Gregory, God leaves a little room for them? It's right here in the text. He said, not many wise. So that leaves a little room for the wise ones. But then for the rest of us who are still struggling, he calls us as well. He calls the foolish, the weak, the despised, the base, the not yet. That's verse 27 of the previous chapter. You might want to read it one day. That first chapter starts out. 26, let's see. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. 16 times the word Christ is in chapter 1. Matter of fact, in 24 of the 27 books of the New Testament, Jesus Christ is in the very first verse. Paul didn't fool around, neither did the other writers. They got right to Jesus Christ and stayed there. Don't get nervous. I'm going to get to my text. <laughs> Have you ever wondered why he's called the alphabet? You know, A to Z. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, 
WXYZ, Alpha and Omega. If I stand here tonight and talk to you for just a little while concerning Aristotelian arguments or Socratic syllogisms or Platonic platitudes or iambic pentameter written in all that go goes along with that. On the other hand, I still didn't talk about Humpty Dumpty set on the wall. I only used 26 letters. And I've never left the ABCs. Count the names of Jesus sometimes in the Bible. And there's not a need that we will ever face on this planet that he's not able to say, I am that. I am. And if we root and ground our thinking, matter of fact, 24th verse of the first chapter says, he's the power and the wisdom of God. Wisdom is when we know what to do, and power is the ability to do it. So Jesus is both. Now look at our text tonight. Did not come with excellency of speech or superiority of speech, but a declaration to you of the testimony of God. I was blessed to be invited to the International Congress on World Evangelization in Lausanne, Switzerland some days ago, and we spent 10 days with a central focus on the theology of prepositions. And a great theologian by the name of John R.W. Stott led in that effort with a lot of communication all around. And it was central to the trend of thought, the theology of prepositions of uh, being through Christ, in Christ, for Christ, under Christ, unto Christ, like Christ, with Christ on our way to being like him in fullness. It's a good thing to settle our search without gallivanting all over town looking for something to talk about and settle in on the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice I said the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus to deliver us from our sins, Christ to develop us from within, and Lord to direct us to the end. He's all in all. He's totally sufficient. So then let us look at this text then a little bit closer for in verse 2. It says, for I determined, that's the discipline of the determination after the decisive declaration what is that determination that's settled in the text? You know, y'all are asking the right questions. and <laughs> That gives me a chance to answer them. Christ, the one who came down through 40 and two generations, ended up hanging on a cross where he died. In our culture, every Baptist preacher loves to get to that he died. You know what's coming next, don't you? Didn't he die? 
<laughs> he died until the grave got sick of the stomach and started vomiting up its dead. He died until the elements of nature started suffering fits of cosmic epilepsy. He died until Sister Mary, she came running, running far to see. He died until the centurion said, surely he must be the son of God. He died. I better leave that alone or I'll start hollering here because he did die. I'm talking about Christ, Jesus Christ, the Lord. And in our text tonight, Paul said, I've made, now Paul was a skilled scholar of schools, but he said, I've made this determination with myself to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that cross, I throw in parenthetically that I may run the risk of being confused because of what's going on in, on television in our world. Every great movement, not great, but every movement has its symbols. You know, uh, think Russia, what is that, the hammer and sickle? Japan, the rising sun? Uh, United States of America, the stars and stripes? on down the line. But some of us have gotten a little bit confused. We think our symbol is a dollar bill. <laughs> or a loaf of bread. But the cross. Sometimes if I get off by myself and think about where I would be if it were not for the cross. God has supplied us with a focus on three crosses in the book of Galatians. And it relates to Jesus having told us, love not this world nor the things that are in this world. And then you take the three crosses in the book of Galatians and you'll find that all three relate to our present pilgrimage on this planet. Uh, Galatians, the sixth chapter and the 14th verse says that we're crucified to this world. That's the world system. We, we're not necessarily of this world. He has called us out of the world as a remnant to send back to the world as a light to a darkened world. But we have still another problem and that's the lust of the flesh, the self-centeredness of our own being the old sin nature. But Galatians, the fifth chapter and the 24th verse relates to that one. And it says that I've been crucified to the flesh. But then there's a second, a third effort in Galatians 2.20. And that relates to, see, we have this, we're born with self-consciousness, we're born with mentality, we're born with emotions, we're born with a will, we're born with the old sin nature, and we have a darkened mind, we have distorted emotions, we have a dead will. All of that commenced in the garden. And Jesus Christ came along, died for us, and then gave us a mind that can then again know him 
emotions that can again love him and a will that can again obey him. And when we submit obediently to him, we start gripped by grace, walking in the word with inner peace, a relaxed mental attitude toward life, mastering the common details of life that upset other people, our peace takes over and super rules in our lives, giving us the capacity even to love unlovable people on our way to our exit into eternity. You know I feel like preaching here tonight. <laughs> Anybody listening to me? I'm talking about another lifestyle altogether than what I used to be. Now some of y'all didn't come very far, but I know me. And I know what's in me. And I know without the indwelling presence of the life giver king, it, my wife would not be sitting there tonight smiling. It's by the grace of God. And so I'm happy about my relationship with him. You see that in your text, don't you? I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and you got it. Now, I'm not going to depend, the Bible says, Paul says, on the wisdom of men. We're not going to depend on the righteousness of myself. Not going to depend on sanctification that I rooted up. One of the problems that many of us may still make in life is we believe that we can erect our own enjoyment, that we can master our own mission, and that we can create our own course. And then when we hit rock bottom, then we have to cry out, Lord, help me. So that brings me then to a third principle, a third point. The decisive declaration, 80% of what I preach is in the indicative mood. I don't spend a whole lot of time on the interrogative. I spend even less time on the imperative. I spend a lot of time on the, indi I indicate what's already happened. It happened, in other words, I wake up in the morning and I see the morning news. I can tell you what you'll be looking at tomorrow morning. It never changes. When you get up the first thing, if you get up early, you're going to want to know what time it is. And they'll have it down in the right-hand corner or the upper corner that it is now 6.47 a.m. And we're all interested in the time. Then we want to know what the weather is like. And they know we want to know what the weather is like. So they'll tell us what the climatic condition is. And then thirdly, they'll tell us what happened on the local scene. They're going to always share with us what happened. And then they, fourthly, they'll tell us what the traffic is. I-10 is the freeway that we utilize from my house to the church. And they can be talking about I-45. They can be talking about uh, I-59. But the minute they say I-10, it gets my attention. 
because I know I'll either be delayed or drive freely. Then finally they'll tell us about the world condition. When people come to church, there are certain things that they are expecting. <laughs> but I try to tell everybody it's not breaking news. What I'm preaching is good news. It's already done on a hill called Calvary. Where does the power of God come in? Glad you asked. It's in the demonstrative demonstration, the text says, in verse 4, listen to it. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. That's, of course, man's wisdom. But in demonstration of the spirit and of power. You know how even I can have power? as feeble as I am, as weak as I am, and all that's whatever I am, power of God, let me name it. There is the anointing of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, the earnest of the Spirit, fullness of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the gift of the Spirit, and the sealing of the Spirit. Only one do we have anything to do with. Only one. And that's being filled with the Spirit. Because Ephesians 4.30 says we can grieve him. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says we can quench him. Him. Acts 5.32 says we can obey him and experience the power of God. Do I have a witness in the house? Now when that happens, here is what God does. He releases the Holy Spirit through human personality to accomplish his original goal even before the foundation of the world. And he's not going to do it except through his own power for his own glory. He says, I will give my glory to none other, no other man, no other God, Jesus Christ. Dr. West has already told you, in the morning, Jesus Christ at high noon, and Jesus Christ when the sun goes down. Now let me give it a little Baptist twist and sit down. A little cultural focus. He's the answer for every agony. He's a balm for every bruise. He's a cure for every calamity. He's a deliverer for every distress. He's an eraser for every error. He's a fixer for every fault. He's a healer for every hurt. Ain't nobody like him. I had a grandmama by the name of Bertha Fales who used to tell us all the time. She said, boy, don't you know he's the only one that can take a crooked stick and hit a straight lick. 
And every now and then she'd change it and say, he's the only one I know that can stand flat foot and tiptoe at the same time. He's in a class all by himself. And I commend him tonight to you. Jesus Christos Curios, Jesus Christ the Lord.